Welcome to Season 2 of Voices from the Land, a special podcast series produced by the Legacy Hope Foundation. In this podcast series, we'll hear about Indigenous language revitalization projects and efforts to preserve and promote Indigenous languages across Turtle Island. Join us as we learn more about how Indigenous languages are helping Indigenous peoples connect, know, and remember the voices from the land. Hello and welcome to this podcast on Indigenous languages. Voices from the Land is an Indigenous languages podcast project produced by the Legacy of Hope Foundation. Its goal is to capture more perspectives and voices on Indigenous language revitalization. We are seeking to capture a range of perspectives to better reflect the many people engaged in Indigenous language revitalization. Our aim is that by listening to teachers, adult learners, and parents or guardians of children in language classes, we can gain more insight into what are the challenges and barriers, as well as the solutions and positives. In turn, we hope that this will form a larger discussion on how to support Indigenous language revitalization. Thank you for joining us. In this episode, our guest is Errol Kilistino. Errol is a Cree language learner. He's also an actor and singer from the Ochapoes Cree Nation in Saskatchewan. Hello, Harold, and welcome. It's good to you can join us today. How are you doing? Yeah, I can see. Yeah, English. I'm doing pretty good, actually. I'm uh, I'm in Winnipeg right now, a few hours away from Ochapoes, but had to come here for some uh, kind of officer band meetings tomorrow. So I figured I'd come in a little early and visit my family. Okay, yeah. well, maybe we can start with that. Talk a little bit about your background, like your. Wow. Uh, your indigenous affiliation and uh, your community. Okay. I'm from the Ochapwes First Nation. Uh, it's about maybe five hours from Winnipeg, just across the Saskatchewan border. On that community, in 1874, Kagishuel was the initial chief, like an elder that was at the, he's the initiator of the first signer of Treaty 4. And, uh, uh, I want to honor him. His English name would have been Loud Voice, Agishuel. And, uh, that's where the community we're from. If, if you look at the, through the treaty, treaty books and all that, you'll see Agishuel's stories about him that were written by Alexander Morris and, and his, uh, secretaries or, or whoever that would negotiate a treaty, treaty four. And uh, that's that's the community I'm I'm from right now, and uh, I, I want to honor Kagishuel, the loud voice they say in English. Yeah. Wow, interesting. Exactly. Never heard that of Chief uh, Kagishuel before, but that's very interesting. You are a, an adult learner of the Cree language. Uh, what are uh, some of the barriers you faced uh, learning your uh, your language? Barriers and obstacles you had to overcome. I think historically. There was a residential school in our community long ago. It was done about 1950. But during that time, part of the residential schools was to delineate the language from our communities. And uh, roundaboutly, they did quite a good job on uh, disciplining the kids to not speak their language fluently. And... uh, I know my, when my mom went to school, she was a fluent um, Mitchell speaker. She spoke uh, part Cree, Kipaha Laporte, for example, Kipala Lapranet, 
was closed the door or closed the window. She had a bit of mischief going on there. And also, Mate, Mate Lavat, which was like, bring the dish towel to me. I heard those, I heard her speaking these words when I was younger, but she had went to Brandon Residential School for 10 years, whereas they got severely punished for even speaking their own language. But uh, it didn't stop. They went kimoche, like they would hide or uh, they wouldn't speak it in front of the priests or nuns because uh, they would maybe talk in the bushes in the, like uh, with their friends. And one of their friends she went to school with was uh, a Dakwe Esquail from uh, White Bear. And they spoke a different language called Nakoda, uh, or Dakota. And uh, she told me a story about learning to count to 10 in Dakota in the, on the schoolyard. But she never ever did say those words in front of the, the, the nuns or the school teachers because they would get strapped or they would get tape put over their mouth. So, and then my father, he went to residential school in, in La Mariville, down uh, in the uh, Cousas area. And uh, there as well, they, they did not learn the language in their the community. In fact, they were told that it was a pagan language and that they shouldn't learn it. And, and even, even though they were fluent, he was fluent in Nishnabe, which was a Soto. He could speak fluent, understand the high Cree Nishnabe language. But that residential school experience really... Uh, did a detriment to our language and our community. So it wasn't until I was probably about 19 years old when I came to Manitoba and went to Split Lake, for example, or or uh, South End Indian Lake, different places that I heard the languages fluently. Yes. Like that. In fact, I, um, I heard them saying when I got off the plane or boat, Norway house, they say, it's like, I thought they're saying they're telling me I'm a skinny Indian. <laughs> but skinny, but they're literally they're saying young, a young man is coming or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But that experience in 1972 made me realize the language is still alive. And I wanted so much to wonder what it was all about. Hearing it spoken, I was immersed into it. So I had that experience of saying it piqued an interest in me of how important that revival was, but yet all at the same time, the legacy we lived through of getting our languages stolen from us by that residential school experience. Uh You haven't uh, gone to, uh, you haven't taken any uh, formal type of uh, classroom type of language courses, have you? No, after that experience, I was going back to university in 1974 or 5, but in Saskatoon, there was a, a, it wasn't, it was just a, a, like an institute like Red River College. Yeah. In the evenings, there there was a teacher named uh, Keith Goulet, was Dennis Goulet's uh, father. He became an MLA. Uh, in Manitoba, just sort of like Eric Robinson. Yeah. 
he was in the legislature. He was a, he was a member of parliament, a member of the legislature in Saskatchewan. But at that time, he was he, he was a fluent Cree speaker from Cumberland House. Now, although he was Métis, they're still the Goulets. They still had the language. So I took a course in that language. And uh, that experience was kind of an eye-opener to me because yeah. you had doctors, some nurses, some professional linguists, and they all got better marks than me in the language. I thought just because I had blood in me that was Aboriginal that I should do good and that I wanted to. But it shocked me that all those people got better, higher marks than me. So mm-hmm. I always really went through this experience of, oh, gee, I, I, I'm so stupid. I, I can't learn this language. I can't even write it to phonetics properly like these linguists do. And they got a better mark. You know, there were, there were doctors or lawyers that worked in the Aboriginal community. Mm-hmm. So they up in the north, they would fly north and they would want to, they knew how fluent the language was spoken there. So they, they wanted to learn that language and they did good. Yeah. But to me, to me, I thought, Oh man, I'm so stupid. I can't even learn the language properly. So then I was angry. I was really angry at the schools, at my dad, my mom. They stole something from me and they, they wouldn't teach me that stuff in school at home. Because of their experience in residential schools, getting reprimanded and their tape put over their mouth and getting scolded and saying this is a pagan language, don't learn it. But I had to get over that. I had to get over that. That And it was you know, a few years later, I went to the Saskatchewan Indian Federated College in 1985, 86. And there was language was... Uh, Cree or Nishtabi or Lakota was being taught there. So I attempted again. But this time they had, I had a different attitude. And uh, I said that, well, you could take Ojibwe, you could take Cree or you could take uh, Dakota. And being from the background that I'm from, my father was, he grew up on a Cree reserve, Ochapways, but he was fluent in Soto and uh, and also Cree. Yeah. So he knew those languages. And I figured if I don't learn a little bit, that's my responsibility. I had to get over that anger of losing the language, not hearing it spoken regular in the home, uh, even though they probably could have spoken it. They said, no, look what happened to us when we went to school. Look, we don't want our sons, daughters going through that. We'll let them, the English teachers teach them English instead. And that happened all through our, our school in Ochapways and uh, uh, not just to me, but a number of other people my age. And that's how the language almost disappeared. Yeah. Now, now it's making a comeback. Right. So you would you say that uh, uh, as a non, uh, non-speaking non uh, Indigenous person trying to learn his Indigenous language, from what I gather from what you're saying was there were no programs or no no, uh, no teachers or people uh, available to you to speak uh, or to teach you the uh, the Cree language, or the willingness was not there. That to me sounds like a barrier that you had to overcome. Yeah. Were there, were there others? Other well, barriers? that was a barrier, definitely. But yeah. because our community, in a sense, the, the Christianized, the colonialization that happened, we had to sort of back into 
going to ceremonies, going to powwows, going to these other cultural gatherings where the elders and the other people that that didn't have that experience harm them, they would actually speak it at a ceremony or a sweat or uh, going to visit different communities like the Red Sucker or Garden Hill or or even your reserve uh, up there at Tataskwiak, yep. where the language was spoken, I still had that experience uh, of travel, of you know, going to these places where the language was still spoken. You could hear it, the kids on the school ground or in the homes, and then they would interpret to me in English or whatever. It was English plus as well as you know. Up in Red Sucker Creek, for example, Red Sucker Lake, for example, they spoke both Ojibwean Cree, Ojibwean Cree, and and same with Garden Hill, Wasigamak, and uh, Garden Hill, Wasigamak, and uh, different places in there. Island Lake and area, yeah. Island Lake, yeah. They had that both languages going on. Yeah. And when I went to Norway House, it was predominantly Cree, so I had the experience of travel and hearing the language, so. It was a barrier not to have it in our communities, and, and but now it's coming back because the teachers see the importance of it. They hire teachers to speak and teach the Cree to our kids in kindergarten, nursery, grade one, two, three, four, five, six. But that's the only places they can speak it, usually at school. When they go back to home and try to speak it in their homes, are the adults my age, we don't speak it back to them. It's not a language. So that's a barrier. Right. Is having the fluency, you know, come back in our community. And I, I you know, of course, I, I have a, a lot of anger and blame the, the system for this because they robbed us of so much from our elders, so much history. So the language I know is, is so important about teaching values you know, teaching the importance of uh, even our tricksters, Wisagi Chak stories that, that were in, in our culture and, and the values in them that are, you know, the lessons that they were stolen from us. But now we have a challenge to try and make it that we can understand again yeah. and uh, bring it back. And they're doing that at the schools. So um, I'm happy about that. And I want to yeah. see that direction more coming back to not just teach the kids, but also to teach us that the really, the, the, the people that got robbed from our culture and robbed from our language, that's how important it is. I can speak a little bit. I can hear it when I go to ceremonies and I just close my eyes and it's the, the language speaks to my heart. My dad taught me a, a, a prayer in his language before he passed on. And it just, Kiche Manto. It's great spirit. For all of everything, you know, for everything we have. We need to sing for what we eat. And for what we drink. Uh, what a big, important prayer. And then when they would say that, the priests and the nuns wouldn't understand that. They say, well, it's such a pagan language. Don't speak that. But yet at the same time, it's just such a simple, beautiful prayer that we're thanking the great spirit, the mystery of our life for our here in the universe. The big spirit for the, for the food we eat. 
and and the water we drink that is not a pagan language that's such a beautiful language you know and there's more and uh, but you have to say chant that's that's a language I, that's a prayer I used to carry me through as an adult as a potential senior is like an elder person now and yeah. uh, the, the little bits that I know I I I I feel them like I say yeah I think you're doing really well. Uh, the first time I met you, I don't think you could barely say two words in Cree. And over no. the years that I've known you, you've uh, each time I see you, you seem to be able to speak better Cree. And yeah, uh, one of the things I really like about uh, Saskatchewan uh, the, is the NBC radio. Their mandate is to speak Cree, uh, Dene, and a bit of Michip. So if I hear it on the radio. It makes me start thinking, hey, like I like that one guy's voice. And he has a really Cree accent and makes me want to learn more. Right, uh, yeah. And they have the word of the day, like, say, for example, they say, Wanchka, that yeah. makes wake up in Cree. Uh, yeah. In Dene, it's different. In Michip, it's different, you know. And they say, so, but I think they could have a sentence pretty soon. I would yeah. say a sentence in Cree, you know. Miigwech, uh, or... Uh, you know, thank the elders or whatever they were. And then it can grow from there. If we hear it, if we hear it, it's like taking French immersion. They'll put you in, in Quebec City where they speak that uh, Quebecois. And uh, if you hear it, you can catch on quick. Same act. Same yeah. it comes easier. Yeah. So I think that's what we have to do. And, yeah. you know, find ways to to keep it alive and the importance of it too. Because if we don't, if we don't, like you say, for example, if I don't learn a little bit, they've done their job. Colonialism has done its job and made us think, oh, French and English is, is the language I'm going to speak now. And it's it's good to know that, but yet at the same time, it's also good to know Cree and Ehio and Snabe or Dakota. In your learning path, in learning your indigenous language. Uh, and you touched on it, your statements you just made. Uh, maybe you can just expand on uh, on some of the positive things that are happening or you see happening in terms of people learning their indigenous language. What are some of the positives that you are aware of that are coming out or that you've experienced in, in trying to learn your Cree language? I think, uh, like, say, for example, when a I worked at the Friendship Center with you a few years back in Winnipeg. And when they had our brother Bill Ballantyne as a guest coming in to sing. And uh, he was a fluent, fluent uh, singer in Cree. And uh, it was such a joyous, beautiful event. I'll never forget. Uh, to this day, I remember we worked hard, you know, getting these people there and put Folklorama on, gathered these artists to come and then. And he sang a song and his guitar so simple. He didn't use a drum, but he used a guitar and he says, Dante, Dante, Dante Tutean. I was like, wow, wow, what is he singing about? Dante, Dante, where are you going? Like say, and then Dante Tutean, Dan Speck. Dance pick, kawe kose na. 
It's like that was such a positive experience for me. I didn't even know what he was singing about, but I know roundaboutly it was he's singing about a, a child or a boy. You're growing up now. Where are you going to go? Are you going to take the truth with you or take something you've learned uh, that way when the truth? Uh, and that triggered such an emotion in me. I said, what a beautiful thing. What a beautiful way to teach and to to say a challenge to other people to say, learn your stuff and keep it alive. And, and you're, it's so beautiful. So that I think that's my my way of saying, knowing that this, you know, just by seeing other artists like Bill Ballantyne, he's, a, he's a, probably an elder now, but he still makes big inroads in the community in the north in the schools. They get him to come and sing, and it does it in Cree. Ande Dutian. Ande. For my language, it's Ande, Ande Jayan. Where are you going? Are you going to grow up? Are you going to become a man? You know, that's what your duties now as you grow up. So those things are powerful in a sense. It kind of reminds me of another language that my friends speak and learn around there from another indigenous culture, the Filipino people. I run into a lot of them these days working, working here and there and in our, in our country. And, uh, but they also bring their language with them. They love to sing. And uh, Freddie Aguilar was a singer that sang Anak, which was a boy, about a boy. You're going to grow up now. You're going to be, you don't listen to me right now, but later on he grows up and he says, gee, I wish I'd listened to my dad when I was younger, that he knew these lessons that would happen. So this, there's similarities there. Tante uh, Tutiana, no, no, like the Pia Napeo. Tante Tutiana Napeo is where are you going, my son? Same in the, in the, in the language in the Tagalog is Anak is like a, a story about what are you going to do when you, when you, when you get big? <laughs> so the similar is for music. That's the, there's a, there's a power there in music and yet at the same time, it's such a good way to teach, yeah, lessons of the earth and absolutely, I, yeah, uh, yeah. It's been mentioned a few times actually that song and music is a is a is a great way to to teach languages. And I yeah. mean, like as, as growing up as a little as when I was as a kid too, like we learned uh, we we had to learn French songs, you know, Dormevu, <laughs> Dormevu, you know those things. So <laughs> Yeah, it's gonna be- stick to you, eh? Like, uh, yeah. so, so language. But we can change them to one is come on. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. You should do Nichi that. Mus, Nichi there, there you go. There you go. Right? You know, you can uh, put that one into a song. Uh, what would you like to see change or improve, uh, you know, in your whole language experience or, or with uh, people that are trying to learn their indigenous languages? and its current state right now. What would yeah. you like to see change or improve so that people can learn their language, you know, uh, better, in a better way or faster, easier? Yeah, I I like to uh, travel a lot in, in the vehicles and um, I like to hear more on the radio, like uh, NCI, for example, uh, the, the, the Northern Communications Incorporated. 
yeah. out of Thompson or whatever, and it's moved to Winnipeg now. I would like to hear more of more of the announcers and more, and he even challenge the artists, you know, that that are recording. Uh, not to, not to forget about the uh, the Nehiok Nehiok way or the language, and to uh, incorporate it into their songs, you know, like. Um, like for example, uh, uh, I know on the Round Dance Trail, the songs that are sang in Round Dance are beautiful, and that's a way of doing it as well. And I think there should be more. You know, we only get a little teaser, but there should be more. And I think on the radio. probably on the radios as a mass media, as well as you know, uh, even if they hire somebody at the casinos or wherever to play, that uh, they should. Look for somebody that sings all in Cree, for example, rock and roll or or even Ernest Munoz songs or, you know, like I think they have one uh, lady out of uh, the PA now. Uh, you what that girl's name is. She sings, she sings opera, but in the York, it's, you know, to hear it is, is, is beautiful. Yeah. I think there should be more, yeah. Less bingo. <laughs> yeah, numbers too. Bingo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really, eh? Yeah. Yeah, that would be interesting to do that as a way of, uh, you know, reviving, keeping the language alive and hearing it, if you hear it and make it fun as well as you say it. Yeah, yeah. They always have yeah. prizes, so yeah, you can. Uh, I mean, it, it'd be good for kids, you know, to start learning like that. I know some yeah. kids, uh, some schools, uh, like in Smith Lake, Tatasker, where I'm from, they have uh, Cree language classes for children from grade from kindergarten to grade twelve, I believe. But not all oh, the yeah. time. It's not full immersion, but they have like an hour a day or so. But the yeah. difficulty they're finding is getting teachers, you know, to come into the community. Yeah. Or, or even teachers from the community who want to do this full time. Uh, yeah. that's, that's been a challenge for many communities, well, especially communities that have no language speakers, right? So they have mm -hmm. to import people from other communities that makes yeah. it uh, makes it a challenge. So, uh, but yeah. there's, there's probably funding for it at, at the federal level. And I thought even through the Truth and Reconciliation, that's what they were going to do. Is actually funnel some dollars, Sunyao, uh, into the programs to recognizing that that was one of the things that they did harm our yeah. our nations, and that they should. This is one way to revive them. Put a little bit of Sunyas into those programs where, yeah, where they can hire, make it hire somebody to help us do that. Yeah, yeah, I think the government's starting to realize that they're starting to open up. Uh, the dollars more for language and cultural revitalization across Canada. So this project we're working mm -hmm. on is funded through the federal government. So yeah, it's actually part two of what we did before. So it's a continuation. So it's you know it's, it's starting to there, there's uh, there's there's hope there. Yeah, well, you guys make an impact, you know, yeah. and that helps. It it's not just a project for five years. It should be. Yeah. From now to next, next time, huh? yeah. 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 Important. Yeah. Keep keep it going. Yeah. That's what we're trying to do. 
Uh, what would you say is the most important thing to keep in mind, like when you're learning your indigenous language? When you're about to start learning your indigenous language, you make up, you make your decision. Okay, I'm going to learn my, I want to learn my, my language, my indigenous language. What would your advice be to someone who's who's uh, starting on that path? I think from my own experiences is to is to acknowledge the anger, uh, acknowledge the 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 blaming of saying what why did this colonialistic thing happen to my parents and then to my, my uncles and aunts and as way of robbing us of our of our nationhood really because right now we're going through uh, things in our community where we're reinventing the wheel for example when we're developing a constitution a way of doing things way of uh, putting our laws into effect when those things were there to begin with in the language you know that that's heartbreaking sometimes to think now we got to think in english write in english because uh, that's the way our people think now uh, but yet at the same time it was the kokums and mushrooms that had that knowledge it was the elders that knew that how when it was time to save fish or hunt, for example, and you learned lessons when you did those things, land, laws uh, of the land training. And then you didn't have to be in a classroom. You can go out in the, in the water. You didn't have to be in the classroom. You can go out in the trap line. The amount of stuff you learned there, or you learned with from your kokums or mushrooms that were making the camps and you spoke the language. This is, this is the way that the clan system or whatever was passed down to those you can't be with somebody from that. They're too closely related, for example. You, sh you shouldn't, you shouldn't be with them. And, uh, but maybe you should be with that, that other raven clan in that way. That way that keeps the, the DNA strong and, and also healthy. So there's much that stuff that was, uh, kind of stolen from us as a result of that. The teaching of the elders and the Kokums, Muslims. The duties of the children that, you know, like, uh, to learn when they become young adults, fasting, going out in the bushes and communing with nature or the, the animals, they learn those are teachers as well. And, uh, now it's coming back as, you know, even in some of our schools, we're doing, we're doing that. But, you know, as kids, we just grew up with that. <laughs> we knew how to hunt. We knew how to fish. We knew how to, you know, to make hides and leather and those are lessons you know that uh, now at least it's getting recognized in school right are there any other indigenous language initiatives or projects happening in your community that you can share with us i think one of the things was the option of going taking the languages at first nation university of canada and um the the aboriginal Nehiok is Squail, uh, women that taught there were, were, uh, language teachers. And, uh, I thought that was so good. Uh, I, that's when I started learning. I uh, say, for example, I learned from Margaret Cody from the, uh, she's a, a teacher and her sister Lynn Cody from, uh, from the Cody First Nation up around Campsack area. And I took the Nakawewin classes, uh, Ojibwe, and uh, they did it orally as well as phonetically on the books. 
But yet at the same time, one of the things I learned was from the, uh, from speaking is, uh, or the oral classes was, they would say, Ani's wa Ani. And they'd say, Kawin Gutno, Kawin Gutno, uh, Kima, Kindash, Kindash, how are you? And then he'd say, Tagawisin, Tagawisin, which is like, let me some money. And he'd say, ah, Ani Manik, it's for how much? And I, I wish I would learn to say a hundred in Cree. Because I only said, Nia <laughs> Nan. So my teacher actually gave me five dollars. <laughs> I wish I had said it. How do you say a hundred in Cree or Gord? I wish I said that. She would have gave me a hundred instead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, we're getting close to the end here. Um, last to this podcast, Harold. So I'm going to just ask you one more question. Like say, uh, do you have any recommendations for people who want to learn their indigenous language? Yes, I'd say take a class. It could be a fun class. You don't have to go to university to be registered into a particular thing, but there's languages on on uh, line now. Bill Cook, for example, teaches at the University of, of Brandon, and you can join his thing on uh, on a podcast or uh, or uh, online and. Uh, they're willing to teach the language that way is a good way to do to to do that without having to register at the University of Brandon or UAW or U of S. There's ways you can get online now and, and actually uh, I encourage people to do that. Yeah. If they want it. And and it's it's surprising how much you learn like like even listening on uh, on Facebook. Solomon Rat, for example, out in out in Saskatchewan. He's he's going to be retiring pretty soon, but he taught for 35 years in uh, and at the First Nation University of Canada, and uh, he's written some um, incredible books to help learn that language and keep it going. And I heard him this year speak um, on the radio about uh, storytelling during February months and uh, those those legends of in Wisagi Chuck are so important. They're funny, interesting. And there's a such a good way to learn and say, wow, the incredible impact of this language is still there and it's for us for the taking. If we want, we should go get it, you know. Got to make a little effort to try and get out there because nobody else is going to come and give it to you. You got to make a step forward into a class and then you find out how much fun it is. Yeah. For example, us on our reserve, we had a Cree speaker come in and he was funny. He said, you know, this language is... Such an ass language. What do you mean ass language? We ask for meat. <laughs> Sonia asked for money. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he made it funny, he made it interesting. Now we want to we want to say uh learn the funniness of it as well too. Yeah. yeah. We asked Sonia's and then those big kachimunias, big munias. <laughs> Munias. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. I, I never, I never, uh, I never thought of that. <laughs> but it is yeah. fun to learn, you know. Yeah. To sit around the table and yeah. situations like that, and for somebody that doesn't maybe hear it very often, there's yeah. even five of you, ten of you sitting around the table at at the band office or wherever you are at a big high high office somewhere. Speak yeah. it as much as you can, and if you hear it. It'll come alive. It's in our yeah. blood. Yeah. It's, it's in the DNA. Yeah. And uh, 
We just have to revive it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's funny, you know, like you say, like just being around people that are speaking the language just, uh, it goes a long way in terms of, you know, you start to hear the language more and, you know, uh, you get more comfortable, comfortable with the sound of it and getting used to hearing it. And then eventually you start speaking it. And uh, <clears throat> it's true that there's a lot more now. It's, we've kind of been forced uh, in the last couple of years with this COVID uh, pandemic going around. We've kind of been all been forced into go doing things through Zoom and online. And uh, and it's true that there's a lot of there's a lot more online course, courses popping up, whether they're indigenous courses, indigenous language courses, different courses, university courses, uh, yeah. all being done online. It's kind of uh, it's kind of opened the world for many people that are trying to learn indigenous language. And uh, say, Mac, just put it on Facebook, get it in. It's like it's so yeah. there, you know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, Errol Egoziva, uh, uh, thank you very much on on behalf of the project called Voices of the Land, uh, mm -hmm. produced by the Legacy of Hope Foundation. Uh, I want to thank you for taking the time to do this with us. Yeah. Okay, that's the end of this podcast. I want to ask one one, one question, though. Just kind of uh, mm -hmm. just let me just end this here. I wanted to ask you, what does the word like you come from Ochapways? What does Ochapways? What does what does that mean to you? Uh, it took us a little time to learn this, but it means uh, tied up, like in a ceremony. These medicine people, they have a tie up ceremony in the in the the medicine people will they tie up, put in your blanket. And if there's usually about 200 uh, tobacco ties, colors like black, um, yellow, green, white, and red for Nishnabe. Okay. And then if you, if you pray, if you're coming there, it's in a dark room. Usually that medicine man's hands is tied up at the back. With that, right. boy, means to untie. When they untie, then okay. you're, you're, that's the, it's different than what I thought. I thought it was, uh, yeah, I thought it was had to do with uh, sweat lodge because. Uh, yeah, it is that they do that in the sweat lodge or ceremony in there too. No, but I mean yeah. the word uchapwes uh, in in uh, in like I tried to understand what it means, and then I came to the conclusion that it means uh, to sweat uchapweso uchapwes, you know. Uh, yeah, it means ceremony too. Yeah, Tupwes, Yeah, okay. I think in our community they they call them a uh, uh, matutu. Yeah, but a sweat. Okay, matutu might be nishnabe. Yeah, but yeah, that's good. That's uh, that's uh, that's close. Kegat. Yeah, yeah. Kegat. That, that's that's. Uh, I learned something from you today about what you know the possibility of of uh, that interpretation could be. Tupwes uh, means. To sweat, maybe uh, you know. And I thought maybe these, uh, these guys were sweat, sweat lodge people, you know. Oh yeah, there, yeah, it is, it is ceremonial that thing. Yeah. yeah. Okay, Earl, thank you very much, and uh, we'll uh, uh, we'll talk again. Look forward to seeing you again in in your yeah. travels. Maybe you'll head out this way sometime. We'll meet Excellent. up. Oh yeah, yep. Okay. Uh, okay. You take care. Excellent. Say hi to Winnipeg. Say hi to for me. Oh yes, tonight I will. Okay. I, I see you, Ernest. I heard Ernest Munoz's name mentioned yesterday when I got to town. Okay, yeah. There was somebody on the street, and they were, they were, they were, they were just on the street around where the, the Golden Boy is. 
Yeah. I thought it was a man. It was a young woman. Oh. And she was from uh, the, the Daskawin, uh, um, which is uh, Cross Lake. Oh, yeah. Mitsigamak. Well, yeah, by Pima Chickamack. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cross Lake, we gave her $2 and said, Hey, my little bear is named Ernest Munoz. She said, <laughs> That was funny. She said, yeah. Dinigi. Yeah, yeah. Dinigi Munoz. Yeah. They love Ernest Munoz. Yeah. Take care, eh? Good to All right. you. Okay. Bye. Bye. Voices from the Land is a podcast project produced by the Legacy of Hope Foundation. Music is provided by David Finkel. For more episodes like this and to learn more about the work we are doing, please visit www.legacyofhope.ca.